All right, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome back, tennis of Melbourne, city of love, and I'm、uh, very lucky to have Michael. Michael, you want to say hello to our 50 million friends? <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hope you're all well. <laughs> okay, so、um, let's talk about Australian Open、um, first week, right? Obviously, we we all watched、um, last night, Kyrgios versus Team.、Um, what are some of the takeaway? Because I think. From my memory, your Insta stories, you were there, right? No, were you there? Not last night. No, I went the night before, the Wednesday night. Yeah.、Um, watch matches. I watched a little bit last night. So.、Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah,、okay. I mean, when Nick's playing, his box office a little bit, so he's always interested to see what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well,、uh, so、uh, the match that you went and, and watched,、um, who did you watch, and what are some of the takeaways for? For coaching wise, as、uh, as well as、uh, junior players wise. Yeah, so I went the first night and saw Djokovic play against Shardy.、Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, <laughs> and yeah, not not the best match, but、mm-hmm. for me, it's when I when I go to a lot of these matches, I actually don't really pay too much attention to the score and what's going on. I'm just pretty much watching the players、mm-hmm. and seeing what I can learn. And you know, for someone like、um, Djokovic, it's it's I'm watching his movement. I'm watching,、um, you know, how he hits certain shots and, and think about things that I work on and, and trying to pick out different things. And for him, I notice. And you know, also when I saw you know, Zverev and you know Saka a little later,、um, is that you know, their movement and their balance when they hit the ball is incredible with these top players. It's it's. You know, different, you know, different lines, center of gravity. It's 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 amazing how, no matter what ball they hit,、um, no matter what position of the court they're they're hitting the ball from, they're in incredible balanced positions at contact.、Um, so that's one of the big takeaways I took is that, you know, if if you can't move, you can't play. You can have the best looking technique,、um, but you know, if you if you're not an athlete, if you're not able to.、Um, You know, move and and have that flexibility and that you know end range,、um, you know that quickness of mind and foot. Then it's going to be pretty hard for you to to be a successful player. So first and foremost, you've got to be an incredible athlete、um, as well as a ball striker. So that's one of the main things.、Um, the other thing is just the presence on the court. These top players have a presence. They you know, they are confident.、Um, Yeah, you know, great posture. They they walk around the court with a bit of an aura, a little bit that <laughs> they can intimidate their opponent. But、um, you know, they they're pretty clear on what they want to do. They're clear on、um, where they want to go.、Um, they're just supremely confident in their own abilities.、Um, yeah, you know, compared to say a lower ranked player.、And、I guess that's the difference that you get with the top players is they are, you know, they're a step above.、Um, In terms of their professionalism and, and belief in themselves.、Mm, now, if you cannot, if you can't move, you can't play. Does that include? You know, we see a lot of shots now these days, backhand or even just forehand. They hit the ball really, really high, hit it on the rise. They hit it so beautifully, it literally poetry in motion. That that all comes from the foundation of they jump off their feet. And they hit the ball, still hit it clean, still hit it with control, and that all comes down to if you can't move, you can't play. Principle. Yeah, 
can't move, you can't play. So to be able to hit those shots, to be able to take the ball early, mm-hmm. take it on the rise, take time away from your opponent, you've you've got to move into a position that you want to hit the ball at, not let the ball dictate what kind of shot you want to hit. I mean, obviously, you know, whatever ball's hit to you, you've got to adjust and, and get into a certain position. But you know, if the ball's a bit shorter and, and you know, you want to take it a little earlier and, and take it between the hips and the shoulders. You've actually got to move there. Um, a lot of players stretch, especially younger players, as they're learning. Mm-hmm. But, and I think taking time away is crucial um, at any level, but particularly at the top level. And um, you've got to have aggressive feet. So when you're talking about being an aggressive player, you can't do that unless you have aggressive feet. As you, you can't stand and deliver, you know, in the men five sets, the women for... The three sets, you've got to be able to move um, and, and get to the ball and play the shot you want to play. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick your brain here a little bit. Can you define, in your term, um, can you define movement? Movement, so to me it's, um, it, I mean, that's, that's a very broad question, yep. but defining movement for me is moving with maximum efficiency. Yep. Um, you know, most times taking the least amount of steps to get to the ball. Mm-hmm. And then when you finish the shot, being in a position that allows you to get to the next ball. So I'm a big believer that when you finish a particular shot, that that's the start of your next shot. It's not when you recover, but it's actually when you finish that shot. So if you're balanced... Um, you know, your feet are in the right position, your angles of your hips, so you can recover to a certain position that allows you to get to the next ball, whatever it is. Mm. Um, so for me, it's just maximum efficiency with every single movement you do. Including seventh game in, uh, in, in a final set. And, you know, um, so movement allows you to help with fatigue and that mental block and that mental toughness. Yeah, absolutely. If you if you're confident in your movement, mm-hmm. you're going to feel a lot better in the, deep in those matches. And the other thing is, if you're efficient with your movement, you're probably not going to expend spend as much energy as you would if you're moving inefficiently. So when it comes to the end of that, you know that match, seven all in the fifth, whatever mm-hmm. it is, or third set deep. If you're moving efficiently, then you're probably going to have more energy at the end and. Also, you're going to be able to move to the ball better anyway. Those steps don't, you know, they don't get faster. Mm-hmm. So if you're moving more efficiently and, you know, taking bigger steps, because if you're going out to the sideline, you know, taking, you know, three steps or three movements instead of six or seven mm-hmm. makes a big difference. It allows you to get into position better and then recover better. So the best, the best movers, um, and I don't think you can be a top player now with poor movement. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just part of the game now. It's, it's okay. probably even more important than technique. So, with the likes of Kevin Anderson, Yannick Sinner, uh, Zverev, yep. uh, the big tall players, Berrettini, those those big players um, that, fit, in my opinion, fairly good movers. And because they're height, they're us- utilizing their serve. So, is this why there's a trend that big move, uh, great movers and big servers are sort of a common trait. Uh, Kyrgios, sorry, I mean, it's Kyrgios, and Th- uh, Kokinakis is too. So is that the, the, the kind of the trend in, in men's tennis or even women's tennis uh, if they if they move well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I look, I think with the tall players, it's it's imperative that they work on their movement. Um, 
you know, and you can see a lot of the big guys. Back in the day, you had, you know, those tall players who didn't move that great, just had the big serve and sort of volleyed or whatever. But now, you know, you look at these top guys. Like, I would look at a guy like Sinner. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think he's the closest to Djokovic in terms of movement, mm-hmm. um, the way he moves. And you can see his skiing background there. He's an unbelievable mover for a guy who's, who's tall and still, you know, growing into his body. He hasn't fully developed physically. Um, but yeah, you look at guys like Berrettini and, um, and you know, even someone like Arainich who moves pretty well for a big yeah. guy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's just part and parcel of the game. They would spend, you know, most of their attention, I think, on their physical, um, capabilities mm-hmm. as opposed to sometimes their, their tech, uh, tennis capabilities, you know, mm-hmm. the tactical on the court. If, if, you know, to be able to do the things you want, from a technical perspective, if you're making changes to your game, you need to have physical capabilities. If you have limitations physically, then you're going to be limited with what you could do tactically, with it, which then flows on to the tactical. You're going to be limited with what you can do tactically. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that, at that level, it's small margins, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's the difference. And you see every player will have a fitness guy or girl with them mm-hmm. um, on tour where they can because it's that crucial. Now, you mentioned Yannick Sinner. Uh, just off topic a little bit, do you think he's wearing one or two size small? So his shorts? Yeah, his shorts. <laughs> yeah, he does wear... He has long legs, though. So yeah. He has high hips and his long legs. So, um, yeah, they can get a little short. Yeah. Um, but uh, but... Yeah, i, I got to say real, real quick is that um, I, I, I actually really like the way he plays. And I think um, a while ago we mentioned how he's... He's a mental giant. And I think what happened uh, in the summer of tennis, obviously he won a title and he played, I don't know how many matches in you know such a short time. And I personally think if, if he has maybe a few days rest um, and then he could actually go very deep in, the, in, 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 in this Grand Slam. And um, he had, what, Shapovalov in the first a t- tough draw. So um, I myself, in my opinion, I think Yannick Sinner, and I'm hopefully, I hope m- most listeners agree, is that Yannick Sinner will go very deep based on his his attitude. And we mentioned about presence, his confidence. Um, when he's down, he doesn't make the opponent like he's down. He still plays some clutch points. What's your take for Yannick Sinner uh, for the rest of 2021? Uh, I, he's one of my favorite players. I love watching him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember, as I think I've said earlier, I saw him a couple of years ago at, at Wimbledon when he was playing qualifying and it wasn't even on the court. It was just his presence in the, in the change rooms and just there looked something different about him. Um, yeah, he's got a great game, big game. He's beaten good players. Um, mm-hmm. I agree. I think, you know, the matches, the days preceding his first round took a toll on him. And mm-hmm. if he maybe even had a day recovery, and I think that's a match that he wins and he goes deep. But for me... Now, provided the tour continues, I, I can see him top ten easily, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be surprised even if he if he nudges top five. That's how good I think he can be, mm-hmm. um, and in a short space of time. Um, <laughs> now he, what... he's not mm-hmm. he's not scared of playing the top guys, and he's got a, an unbelievable um, calmness about him, mm-hmm. and he's not intimidated. And he when he goes into those matches, he's just playing his game. And that's what I love about him. So, so do you think his weapon is more, more intangible, more, more, more insight between the years rather than like I'm not saying he doesn't have a big serve or big backhand or ground stroke, but 
in my opinion, it's his consistency and his in his brain game is much stronger than people of his age or even someone who's top hundred. Yeah, I would agree. He's he's very mature for his age. Um, I think. You know, this is a guy who didn't play juniors. He just mm-hmm. basically prepared himself for the pro tour. So um, he's mentally, he when you look at him and you see him train, and it, it's like watching a top 10 player. Mm. Um, he's, he's, he's already got all those habits, all those mannerisms, all those things you want out of a, a top, top player. Um, and he's got a great game. Big, you know, big groundies. Good solid serve, moves unbelievable. Out wide, he's incredible. Yeah, so get him out wide is, and again, like I said, Djokovic earlier, he's he's just he's, and that's probably his skiing background. You put him out wide, and he can generate unbelievable power. Mm. Um, his end range is is, is really good, mm. but he has all the qualities to be a top player. So I think that's someone we're going to see deep in these tournaments um, for a long time. I, I got to say. I've been watching lots and lots of tennis the last few weeks, and I noticed that, um, especially, I think both in men's and women's tennis, is that as soon as the ball kick out really wide, second serve, right? I, I noticed that a lot of returns, they, they're not just putting it back. They can turn the second serve return out wide into, into a more of an offensive play, whether it's down the line or even cross-court deep. Is that something new trend that you think that junior players can also try to develop? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Second serve, I think you're trying to take the initiative. Mm-hmm. You're trying to attack the player so that you can um, get in control of the rally. And especially, you know, more so in the men. And, and even with the women now, the girls' serves are getting much, much, much better. Mm-hmm. Trending yeah. towards more of a, a serve control game. Is that you want to take the initiative. There's less chances to break as, as probably there are, you know, in the past. So you're wanting to take initiative early, get on top, and look for those opportunities to you know, play your game and, and dictate the points. Mm. Wow, wow. Okay. Now, <clears throat> do you think that um, junior players, if they can start learning little things like the presence, the confidence, walking to the, you know, the tournament, little things by little, and just behave like not behave, but more so like give that vibe and aura, as we mentioned, to, to the opponent. Do you think that can start to develop in, in a grassroots, or does it have to be like all, always going to be on, on, the, on the pro level? No, you start it as soon as possible. Oh, yeah? Okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So you're teaching um, the kids all those elite habits, mm-hmm. all those qualities that you want out of a top player. So you identify what the qualities are, you know, top 50 player, top 100 player, top 20 player has, mm-hmm. and you're already working on it. So you want to build the foundations way before they even get there. So when they transition mm-hmm. up the levels, mm-hmm. their behaviors stay the same. They're just adapting to different tournaments, to different players, to mm-hmm. all those other things. There's so many things they have to deal with. The last thing you want to be dealing with is, you know, well, you have to mature still and you have to do this. So the earlier you start, the better. Yeah. Um, and that's day-to-day in practice. Um, it's got nothing to do with hitting balls. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is totally in control of the player and coach, and mm-hmm. it's how you build that player. So I think it's, it, but you've got to take a long-term approach with it. So you've got to see where a player is going to be you know, in 10, 12 years' time and start building um, 
you know, the, the mentality of that player from a very early age. And they, and they can even start in red orange balls with the stuff you do. You know, oh. People who walk in your door the very first day, obviously it's not, Exactly the same, but you can already do things in your lesson Mm -hmm. that sort of build those foundations that as they progress, you just continue to build on. Um, I never thought I'll ask anyone this. I don't think I ask anyone, in in, in fact, it's if you have to put a ratio, whether it's five, five, seven, three, you know, what would you say on court game and off court game as a tennis player? In terms of importance? Yes. Well, you need to be able to hit the ball. So you need to be able to have the the game. Uh, you need to be solid technically. You need to be you know, move well, as I said earlier, mm-hmm. um, mentally. But you're also dictated by what you do off the court. So right. I believe that how you are off the court translates into on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way you act, the way you behave, your, your discipline off the court, will come out in your matches um, mm-hmm. or practice even. So, you know, I don't know if there's there's a ratio because I think it's just important just in general. So I don't really break down, well, this is 50%. This is, like, if you were to ask me, you know, you know when you talk about even something such as, you know, technical, mental, mental physical, and mm-hmm. tactical, what's the ratio? Well, I would say 25% each. Oh. You can't do one without the other. Oh, so, so they kind of link together. Yeah, you need you need all of the qualities. So, mm-hmm. you know, to say one's more important than the other, well, yeah, possibly at different stages it is, but mm-hmm. as a whole, they're all just as as important as each other. If you're weaker in one area, well, it's going to affect another area. Mm. So, the off court, if you're not disciplined off court, you're not doing the right things and and not um, acting like a good player would. What's going to come out in the court is you can only, you can play some good matches and you can do well, but it's only going to last so long. It's not sustainable over a longer period of time. And if you look at the top players, you know, look at someone like Djokovic. Does he have the best forehand in the world? No, he doesn't. Does he have the best serve in the world? No, he doesn't. (laughs) Backhand? Yeah, probably he has, you know, the best double handed backhand, I think. Returns. Um, uh, Return, has the best return in the world, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, Movement? Yep. Yeah, he's unbelievably well. There are other guys who move, you know, just as well. But yeah, he's up there. And the mental, the mental toughness is yep. on another level as yep. well as to most players. But he, he, he can't have the complete package unless they're all working together. Mm. Um, you know, and you look at a guy, I guess, like Kyrgios, he's top three level at his best, easily. Mm. Talent wise, the way he hits the ball, but we don't see that often. Because there are other areas that aren't allowing you to do that for a long period of time. So those other guys are more consistent at that level as opposed to his good is great. His good is number one in the world, actually. Mm-hmm. But you can't maintain that for a long period of time because there's a lot of things outside that he doesn't have right. Uh, and he's aware of that. Mm-hmm. And to be a top player, that is. But that's probably not his goal. His goal is not to be a top 10 player. His goal is not to be a top 20 player. Even. Mm-hmm. He has different reasons why he plays tennis. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes our expect- expectations of him are a way off and compared to what actually he wants to get out of the game. Mm. Um, so it's, it's actually us with the issue, not him. Right, right. Okay, now I had a note down when, when, you, when you mentioned about 25%, 25%. Now, um, I, I think someone told me, asked me, this says, Tom, can you ask your coach, says, 
let's say technically you are good, uh, movement you're good, hitting the ball you're great, but mentally you, you're weak. So let's say, for example, when you're during a match, you know one link, one part of your game is, is weak, but the others are, are, are strong. But the thing is you're losing you know, point by point. What are some of the ideas or, or sorry, sorry, some of the tips you can give to certain players like in this situation where part of it link, it's not connecting, but rest of it is, is going well, feeling well, but just not having that, that last 1% or 2% to, to finish off the point. What would you say as, as, as a coach? Well, I'd get out on the practice court and I'd work on it because it's built on the practice court. It's built mm. off the court. It's not building matches. So you can't go into matches and then, you know, technically I'm great. I move unbelievably well. I'm a great athlete, but mentally I'm a mess. But you're not going to fix it on the match court in the tournament. Mm. Um, that's built in your everyday habits and everything you do day in and day out. So these top players who are strong mentally, that's, I guarantee you they will train that way. Nice. The ones who are up and down, well, you're going to get that in the match. So you're not going to fix it in a match. What you've got to do is go back, identify what it is you need to work on and work damn hard <laughs> on that, not only on the court but off the court. And, and most of the work's done off the, off the court. No. Um, is what it is what it is you're trying to work on. So I would say that if you would ask me what area do most players need to work on and, and this goes from juniors to players transitioning to pro tour, mm. top juniors even and whatever, it's it's the mental side, but it's the day in, day out mentally. It's it's the consistency of your habits. It's creating a positive mindset and how you do that. It's it's what you do in your preparation to practice sessions mm. and how you prepare from a mental perspective and then how you review it from a mental perspective later and, and then on the court a lot of my questions I ask are mental, mentally based it's not technical um, so it's it's just how it, it goes back to do the work and then a big, and then when you go and play a match that's when it comes out now you, know, you can work on things such as rituals and mm-hmm. stuff like that but I don't really want my players to go on a match court and then having to start working on stuff. Well, this is working great. This is working great. And it's a classic. You'll see players in the top 50 who don't look that great, but they win matches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> then you get players who look fantastic. And I heard, I think it was yesterday, I was on the radio and I heard Jordan Thompson say, or Bernard might have said it, said it a couple of days ago, when you get from like ranking rank 50 to 250, mm-hmm. Players are pretty much the same. Yeah. The difference is that the players at the high level are able to do it more consistently and they're just mentally stronger to do it day in, day out as opposed to the players that are 250. So you can, there's this, you go out in AMTs in Melbourne and mm-hmm. you see players who hit a great ball, but that's one part of it. What about the rest of it? You know what I mean? And they're good athletes, but there's <laughs> obviously a lot of stuff that's letting them down. Mm-hmm. And that's just stuff that you need to work on, I think. It's easy to hide away from that stuff, say the mental side, mm-hmm. and, and go and hit balls. That's the easiest thing any tennis player can do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just, I need to work harder. I need to go and hit balls. Well, mm-hmm. do you actually need to hit more balls or do you need to go and work on this area, which is a lot harder, which take, which means you have to look deep within yourself and challenge yourself and, and actually um, bring out stuff that you've probably hidden for a long time because it's scary stuff have you noticed um every time you go to a junior tournament or you know amt and stuff you know where everyone warm up like a professional player hit the ball clean hit the ball hard everyone looks so confident but when match starts it's a whole different personality whole different ball game do you think that's that's because maybe they they warm up for different reasons or they were 
I don't know. It's just it's in in my opinion or my observation. Like every time when I when I went to step in the empty platinum, everyone looked like a superstar. Everyone looked like a champion. But then an hour and a half later, half of them just just gone. Um, what what would be some of the advice for for people who are doing warm up? And or some of the what would you say a, a good idea walking into a warm up? Well, warm up before the match. I think if they're going into matches and they're not playing like they're warming up, it's got nothing to do with the warm up. Yep. I, I would yep. go. I would go. Well, let me see how you practice. Mm-hmm. You know, over over a week, over two weeks, and I, I would pretty much guarantee. And this is the same thing. If you go and and players are practicing and you're just hitting balls and they're great, and then all of a sudden you you create a competitive situation or a match type situation, and they fall apart in in point play. Well, that's that's got nothing to do with how you hit the ball. That's other things that you're not doing as well. So that's what you actually have to work on. So a lot of these plays you see, it's got nothing to do with a warm-up. Um, you know, a warm-up is exactly that. It's just a warm-up for your match, mm-hmm. not how you're going to play it. So, <laughs> I don't, you know, like, you know, I've had players who, you know, have warmed up the day before, like just practice the day before the match and, the, and before the match horribly, mm-hmm. like horrible. And I haven't panicked at all because mm-hmm. I know that player and I know once it gets into the match all the other stuff will just come through. So I'm not actually worried because I know they're thinking about the match and they're probably a bit tense and the, so the practice doesn't do anything. I would much rather a player who practices, you know, average, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, let me rephrase, who warms up and doesn't hit the ball as well but then goes into a match and plays well. And that's, that's what counts. You know, I've had, I've had, I had a player or I had, I remember, I can tell you, I had Zoe, mm-hmm. uh, US Open and 15 minutes before the match or the, the hour leading up to the match, in our minds, because of how she was feeling, it's like, well, there's no way she can win this match. Mm. But we've conceded there's no way. And she went out and played really, really well. It was like a completely different person. Mm. Um, and then there's been other matches where it's totally relaxed and hasn't played as well. So you're thinking, well, what's going on here? So you've got to understand your player and what they need and, and how they react in certain situations. So you learn over time, like, with some players, the day before a match, they have the worst practice. They're yeah. just already thinking about the next day. I don't even worry about it. Like, I don't... Because well, tomorrow's another day, and it's everything we've done is built on the practice court. Mm. So, in all our training, so when you see players play a match, mm-hmm. that's not a warm-up. That's... I'd love to see how you practice, because if you're up and down in the match, it's almost... Not 100%, but let's say 98% guarantee that I'd bet you you practice and you're up and down in practice mentally emotionally mm-hmm. um hit the ball great but you're just up and down so that's going to come out in a match so your, your habits are formed in practice would you would you recommend junior players between i don't know 12 to 17 to have some match plays before a big tournament or do you say have a solid training block how, how would you plan this or is it very different uh, based on individuals um, well, I think leading into tournaments, you want to be finishing off with a lot of match play. So I think mm-hmm. in the training block, you know, at the start, probably you know, it's a lot more technical. Um, it's getting the work in. And then as you're getting closer to the tournaments, those couple of weeks leading up, it's a lot more match play, match simulation, um, the tactical stuff that you're working on, your technical work and all that should be already done. Um, and you're focusing more on how you're going to play the tournament, you know, how you're going to your game style, some tactical patterns, what you're going to do. 
and you just put it into practice. Um, so all the work you've done in that first, let's say it's an eight-week block, that first five to six weeks, you want to start seeing in your match play leading into the tournament. So you know, what I see a lot in juniors, um, in, in junior tournaments, is if you watch the kids a lot in tournaments, they tend to start playing a lot better, really rusty at the start, but a lot better in their last tournament. Um, because what's happened is they probably haven't, done enough of the match play and the leading stuff to the first tournament and they're actually getting the match practice in the first tournament because they're like doing lessons you know different kinds of things right up to the tournament rather than you know preparing for the tournament at the end of the day that's what you're that's why you're practicing you're practicing to go out play matches put into practice what you've been doing and then Junior tournaments, all it is is gives you a guide. Okay, what do I need to know? What do I need to go back and, and practice in my next training block? But I think match play needs to be part of more so at the end of the training block, but also during your training block. I think the kids, especially the kids, should be playing um, matches regularly. There's a there's a fascination with doing squads and doing this, and I've got to do more of this. Whereas I don't understand why kids just don't get each other, go mm-hmm. and play best of three sets during the week <laughs> together, which is where they're going to learn how to play. And I've found that the the kids who are proactive and just go out and play with no parents, no coaches, no mm-hmm. nothing, where they have to actually figure it out themselves, mm-hmm. they tend to be the best match players going forward. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. And uh, many, many years ago, when I was in my playing days, I noticed if I had some training um sessions with my friend, I have to catch a bus and everything else, I'm like mentally preparing and then just thinking, you know what, this, this, you know, as you said, figuring out, you know, like, all right, I'm going to catch a bus, you know, the transport, you know, 45 minutes to get to a club, we're hitting a ball and, you know, and then I had some of the best session, training session with my, with my partner, um, tennis partner. And yeah, you're totally right. And I think that's super, super important for people, for, for players to figure out. Now on the other side, for those parents who are listening, what were some of the things that will support and and I guess working with coach and working oh coach or coaches and working with a player as a as a what's the word with, as, as a trinity leading up to and maximize that performance leading into big tournaments as a parent. Okay, so the thing what what tends to happen a little bit mm-hmm. is the the environment gets a lot tenser with yep. the child and the parent leading into tournaments because mm-hmm. all of a sudden tournaments coming up and it, it becomes more tense. The kids are not as relaxed. That that's just a, a general a generalization. So mm-hmm. it's really really important for parents to understand first and foremost is it's their game. Let them play. Yeah. Don't get involved. Don't. Don't say too much. Just let them. They've done the work with their coach. Um, they've trained. They've got to go out there and do it. You don't need to add to the stress to the kid, and I find that that happens way too often. <laughs> um, I don't know why, but tennis seems to be all parents are experts. Can, can I can I add something Where? real quick? Can I add some, yeah. I, I, I yeah. have heard and experienced and seen so many examples. I'm not going to drop any names. I've seen so many times that... Parent will tell their child or children their next opponent. One is their ranking, and two, the opponent's ranking, and two is 
who he or she or they have beaten someone else six one six two three weeks ago, and by telling their, their children or the child or children, that puts a some sort of an in my opinion some sort of obstacle and illusion to say all right cool so. All right, so it's just really based on ranking. So again, um, totally agree with just you saying, you know, let the kid play, um, let the coach coach. Uh, but at many many times, you know, I've seen, you know, kids showing me, hey, this is my mom sending me a screenshot of my next opponent who, you know, who's top three in the state or or one three JT the last three weeks. You know, I didn't, I never really say anything. I was like, okay, cool. So is this some of the big no nos in your opinion as a coach? Yeah, look, look. Parents don't intentionally try to do the wrong thing, and they're not. Yeah. But first and foremost, they're, you know, they're everything they do, they're trying to do the best for their child. I think sometimes what they can fail to realise is what they think is helpful is actually harmful long term um, for the development of the kid. So if you're trying to, you know, create a player who's independent, who's, you know process orientated and all that kind of stuff if you start talking about results and start talking about all these different things um, that's going away from what you're actually trying to create with the player so for me that's important is well you know I don't want to know what the score is just tell me how you played the parents are there to give me feedback Um, at some point and I think once parents realise this that it becomes a lot easier is the kid stops listening to you like at some age, I, I tell all parents, I'm just telling you now, at some point, kids aren't going to listen to you. They're going to ignore you when it comes to tennis. So just know when that point is and just stop giving them a tennis advice because you're not a tennis coach. Because what the kids want to know is who you are and what you've done. Mm. Okay. So if you've never played tennis before, um, who are they going to listen to, you or the coach or someone <laughs> else who's, a, who's a, an expert in what you, what they're doing? Um, and it just... It, it amazes me a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but that's the environment of junior tournaments, first, you know, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll stop listening, and what it does, it creates tension because when the kid stops listening and they don't want to have a bar of it, mm-hmm. um, the parent gets frustrated, and then there's tension, and that's when you have the issues. Yeah, um, I agree. Let the kids play. Let them stuff up as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I would put it this way. If, you know, let's say you've got a 10, 11-year-old kid, They'd be in grade five or six at school. Mm-hmm. So let's say this kid wants to go to uni, be a doctor, be a dentist. <clears throat> uh, so how important is a test in grade five mm-hmm. in terms of them getting to um, university to be a doctor? Mm-hmm. And the answer is has no importance whatsoever. Spot on. Yet in junior tournaments, we have an 11, 12-year-old. It's life or death for a lot of them. You know, the kid feels miserable um, when they lose. Kids already feel bad when they lose. They don't need a parent to tell them how bad they played or to mm. do this or that. Give the coach the feedback, go back and work on it, and, and continue. And then what you get is someone who's able to work in an environment that encourages them to be, it's okay to fail. It's, it's all about improvement and getting it. Because at the end of the day, the goal is, you know, six, seven, eight years down the track. So... Now, we're putting kids through absolute hell sometimes mm-hmm. at 11, 12 years old for the sake of one you know, junior, junior match. Come on. That, that, that's on us. That's on us as mm-hmm. us on parents and even coaches sometimes. It's, it's, we've, it's got to be better. So yeah. I always go back to 
create the environment that you want that's going to allow them to be good in five, six, seven, eight years' time. Um, you know, if you're worried about junior tournaments at 11, 12 years old, we know that younger kids, the kids who play more tend to win more. Uh, but it doesn't mean they're going to be better later. Mm. So, you know, take a look at it. If you're interested in junior tournaments, if you want to be the best 12-year-old, 14-year-old, mm. by all means, go for it. You'll have nice memories later on. But mm-hmm. if you're getting lessons and you're, you're doing stuff and you're playing tournaments because your goal, the kid's goal is to be a pro, mm-hmm. then do it the right way. Um, and then the other, the other side of it is, is it more about the parents or is it about the kid? Yeah. So is the kid, is the parent the one who's more interested in, oh, so-and-so's ranked this and so-and-so than they're competitive with other parents? Or is it about, actually about the kid's tennis and their enjoyment and them actually playing in five, six, seven years time? Um, you know, I've told parents of, of, uh, of the kids I coach, so if there's one piece of advice, I was to talk to parents at a tournament, mm-hmm. the thing I would say is, if your job, if your if your goal is to have your kid quit tennis when they're fifteen, sixteen, you're doing a fantastic job, <laughs> and that's but that's the reality of it. That's, that's the reality of it. And I guarantee you, most of them, if you go to tennis unders, they're not playing when they're fifteen, sixteen. But that, that's sometimes you just got to be honest. And I tell my, I tell the parents of my kids sometimes that. Um, but yeah, so if, if that's your role. Go for it. You're doing a great job. Uh, thanks for making me spill my coffee. <laughs> wow. Okay. Don't now, because um, <laughs> because as a, as a sports trainer, um, one of my favorite quote I, I deliver is um, it's it's not what level of tennis you play at 15. So it's not what level of tennis you play at 15. It's how you play your tennis or if you play your tennis at 25. And we all know that tennis is now extending its shelf life. 30 to 35, you know. I mean, back in the days, 30, you considered retirement age. Like, literally, all 30. But now, people are starting to play some great tennis after 28, 29. Now, we're extending to 35. And I think, you know, Roger, Karlovich, you know, Cuevas. And also, you know, uh, Feliciano Lopez. I actually just look at the um, his, his, his stat. 72 consecutive Grand Slam. That is crazy. How many players out there... Junior players are thinking about playing one Grand Slam or even qualities. Now, Feliciano Lopez has broke the record of 72 Grand Slam. Now, we're talking longevity. Now, that you that quote you're saying, um, if you if you want your kid to, to stop playing tennis at 15, you're doing a fantastic job. That is my, that's the quote of the day, in my opinion. So, yeah, so... Um, now, I have a I have a question that I really, really want to ask, and I, I'm hoping all the coaches can tell me, is that as a coach, what is one of the first questions that you ask to your players after a match, after the appropriate time where they want to recover? What are, what are the big first questions to ask your players after a match? doesn't matter which, whether it's final or first round, doesn't matter. So as a coach, what are some of the first questions you ask? Well, I just ask them if they met their performance goals for the match. Mm-hmm. So you set goals for the match, and that's what I i base it on is what, what we wanted to get out of the match. So mm-hmm. even though a player might lose a match, you can still get wins out of it. Um, so that's the first thing. I mean, especially in juniors, that's the first thing I ask is, well, how did you go? Mm-hmm. A, lot, a lot of times the kids are telling the score, and I, I'm more interested in, based on the goals that were set, how did that go? Because mm-hmm. um, then what you start to do is you start to get them to think differently. It's not about win or loss. You know, I'm... I'm, I'm Great, I feel good if I win, 
if I lose, I'm, I suck, um, mm. basically. And that's how a lot of juniors think, is it's either good or bad. Um, but it's not a journey, long-term process, because you're always continually trying to get better. Um, and then for the higher levels, so say Zoe's level, the pro level, it's it, it, it can be different. It depends on the day. But also, even then, it comes down to the goals and what we're trying to achieve at that given time. So it might be a tactical thing, what we tried to, a tactical game plan we had against someone, um, you know. And I'll also ask, what do you think? What do you think um, you know, about how you went in terms of this, of what we worked on? It's never it's never score first mm-hmm. for me. Never um, score first. comes secondary. Um, because I, I think if you play the way you want and play your best tennis, that's going to give you the best opportunity of winning anyway. Um, mm. So I'm always focusing on the performance um, and putting it back on them. Well, what do you think? Mm. Rather than because, again, we go back to the parents, kids, they're used to parents telling them what they did well <laughs> and what they did wrong. So I'm more interested in what the player thinks because the player is the one who has to go out there and problem solve. Yeah. So if, if everyone around them is constantly giving them feedback, then when do we ever give the opportunity for the player to actually think for themselves and to problem solve? Mm. Um, and that and that's the danger, especially at a younger age, is if you feed information constantly, whilst you think you're helping the player, you're probably not. Mm-hmm. It's actually doing them a disservice because you're not allowing them to grow. Would you would you ask questions like what what did you think that your opponent did well? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what do you, what do you think your opponent tactically did well against you? Where do you think they hurt you? Uh, what did you struggle with against that player? You know, what did you try to do to counteract that? So you're asking them those questions, you know, a lot of them. You know, it can be 20, 30 questions sometimes, depending on the player mm-hmm. and, and what it is. Some, some are really good at it and mm-hmm. give it to you. Um, you know, some aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, this is the growth of a player. Like, I... One of my players recently played in one of the UTRs and played his match or had given me a whole game plan before. I said, well, how do you think you're going to play? And I had this detailed game plan in it and I was like, whoa, that, that's pretty good. And then after the match, within two hours, had already watched the match and given me a breakdown of, of what he did and what he could do better. Mm. Um, yeah, And that's before I even asked the question because over time, the understanding is this is how we operate. So you've just got to teach the, the kids or the player how you want them to think, how you want them to problem solve, how you want them to review matches and also prepare for matches. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> um, okay, let's uh, finish off with a uh, with few little simple stuff. Now, recently you had the opportunity to uh, to do a little, uh, not little, but like a virtual conference, uh, a coaching conference um, at uh, Australian Open. Um, what are some of the things that you picked up and you want to share briefly to our listeners? <clears throat> from doing the whole conference or my, or my uh, From your conference. in Not so much what you said, in, in, pre- in prepping what you going to to say like and you can start with what what the topic is and then what are some of the yeah. the progress <clears throat> so my the topic i presented on was um, grassroots at wta so it's basically running a program mm-hmm. um from you know beginners all the way through and what just what i thought was important um mm-hmm. you know from 
team perspective, a program perspective, um, you know, the, the areas, you know, in the development chain that I thought were the most important. So mm-hmm. it was really good for me. It was out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, never presented before mm-hmm. at, a, at a conference or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, really enjoyed it. it. It actually, it was good because it got me to actually put pen to paper on um, and get stuff out of my head mm-hmm. about our program, what I wanted, and, and it just became clearer for me is is how we do operate and how I want to make sure that I continue to to do all those things that I've written down. So it was just a, it was a really good opportunity to to one get out of my comfort zone, and which I like trying new things, mm-hmm. and also you know share some of the things that I've learned on my journey with, with other coaches, which you know, I think is important. I think we should just get all the information out there and share and, and mm-hmm. there's no secrets really in tennis. Yeah. Um, so we should all be working together because if we're all working together, then we're going to produce better players. Yeah, and I think you said that a few times before in, in, in a convo. And um, just from my side, Michael, I love what you've been doing. Um, and you last year you got the WTCA award for the best coach with, I forgot who the other one is, it Conrad? Conrad. Yeah, Conrad, Conrad that's right. Yeah. Yes. So um, do you have any... Uh, any, any more speech or like want to thank for because it, it is a big award uh, in my opinion yeah, um, you've done so much for tennis what are some of the things that you you, you feel honoured and, and like to share that you know that I guess the secrets to to getting to, to, to firstly get nominated and secondly to win to win that award um, look it was a it was a it's a really great award because mm-hmm. it's a spirit of coaching award and mm-hmm. it was named after Andrew Florent yep. um, you know Many people would know of Andrew. He grew up in my area, so I grew up in the Waverley area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was a member of Wellington Tennis Club. I remember playing juniors there. I remember he was he was older, but you know he was doing what we all wanted to do. We wanted to be pro players, um, so you sort of look up. We looked up to those guys, and then I ended up playing even some matches in, in state grade pennant against him and got mm-hmm. to know him and stuff. So it was. The nicest guy mm-hmm. um, gave a lot to test. So it was a really, um, yeah, great award to win. Um, I didn't expect to be nominated, so I was surprised when I did get nominated. But it was an honour. And I think it's, it's, you know, as coaches, it's good to be recognised sometimes for the work you do. Mm-hmm. You know, all coaches, we all do a lot of selfless work. Yeah, um, not that we do it for the accolades or anything, but mm-hmm. it was. And it, and it was a women's tennis coaching award, so obviously having worked with Zoe and a lot of the girls mm-hmm. um, sort of recognised that um, uh, more so. But, yeah, and to win it with someone I know very well and respect a lot, Conrad, it was, was great. So to me it's just um, not that you want to be recognised, but an honour to win an award. And, you know, I'm, I'm, as I said, in my speech, I, I thank everyone on the coach because they've all made me a better coach and, and they made me want to get better and they made me want to learn. So mm. I think if you're continually learning um, and trying to get better, then you know, hopefully, not that you need it, but <laughs> things like this, you know, you can get recognised for, and it's it's just it's just an honour. Yeah, no, uh, not something I I coach for. Yeah, now there there is a little stat that um, I found from Australian Bureau of Statistic, and this is only a few years ago. I think the numbers is going to go up a little bit. That in Victoria alone, in Victoria alone, there are nine hundred plus tennis coaches. So if you think about, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. Whether coming from hot shots all the way to high performance, you know, 
So that that honor to 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 take it's 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 big, you know. Like you you are actually competing. You're, you're like a you're, you're competing against. It's not like a country where there's not much tennis, right? But in Melbourne, like we have so much. Tennis. I don't know how many tennis courts are there, but. To be right up there, and in my opinion, you are right up there. Okay, I'm not going to rank any coaches because just yeah, but you're right up there. So I, I, w- I want to thank you for you know again every time I, I reach out to you, I'll be sure no worries, you know, for for another combo. Um, last little thing, um, what's with your Zoolander face? <laughs> yeah, um, I got a few messages about that. So I, I don't know. Yeah, people may not be aware, but if you go. To the Australian Open shop, you might see it on Facebook, but um, there's a big picture of the the merchandise, the Heritage line, and yeah. that I, I I happen to be part of the shoot. Um, yeah, some relatives of mine do the marketing, and and I did it last year with the performance gear. Yep. Um, and we were, and so they asked me to do it again this year. We were told to be serious, okay. which is not that hard for me. Um, I was told to be serious. I think they did a bit of work on my on my um, on my face because I was squinting a lot. So I can see they did a bit of photoshopping or whatever they did around my eyebrows. So, so I wasn't sure who it was at first, but yeah, it was fun. And a few of the kids have got a laugh out of it. I just ended up getting a lot of messages the other day, so I thought, oh, yeah, it was me. I, I got sprung. Um, but yeah, it was just a lot of fun. It's not something I do a lot, but I, I did it last year and. I got asked to do it again this year. But if you go to the Australian Open and you see my big ugly face there, um, yeah, that's me. Uh, whoever is listening to this uh, combo and is, uh, as, as, you know, doing the, you know, in relation to the photo shoot, I'm really, really looking forward for the next year's photo shoot. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, I don't know, but like, yeah, I guess you can't see it now because you can't get spectators to straight yeah. open. But mm-hmm. I'm sure if you look hard enough, you'll you'll find it somewhere and have a laugh. Oh my god! Oh, well, Michael, it has been so good uh, talking to you as always. Uh, all the listeners out there, uh, oh, I say, stay safe, stay strong. Um, let's let's just get this match or this this AO going, and uh, I myself really enjoy the uh, AO. So, um, lastly. I'm still going to go down to the principle of Tennis of Melbourne, which is appreciation. So, Michael, I'm sure there are more people you want to appreciate, bring some names out, bring them, you know, um, why and how, and anything and everything you want, and how can people find you. So, Michael, take it away. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, in terms of thanking people, I guess I've, I've done it before, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I guess this time around, what I want to do, I think, is my team, the team of coaches, because without them, I wouldn't be able to do the stuff I do and mm-hmm. be able to get across to as many people as I do. So I actually want to thank them, you know, Diego, mm-hmm. Ashling, mm-hmm. um, Jackson, mm-hmm. and Claudia, mm-hmm. who, um, yeah, just a great team. They all work together, try to create a little family. So it's, it's, it's really good. Without them, I wouldn't be able to do it. So I guess you know, I want to thank them because they give me the opportunity to do a lot of the stuff I do. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay. Everyone okay. who's part of our program, I guess, they all contribute so much. But actually, I do want to thank, well, I um, actually do want to say two things, actually. I want to yep. thank um, Yonex mm-hmm. for yep. all their support because they've helped me a lot recently, mm-hmm. um, particularly with a friend of mine who I'll mention, Lou Planning, who's mm-hmm. got a, who started a um, 
an organization that deals with mental health mm-hmm. with, with tennis mm-hmm. uh, called Rally Forever. And mm-hmm. last week, yeah, last week she did a an, an event with the <gasps> recently re- released refugees, refugees yes, that, um, I, that. I was able to go mm-hmm. down and and spend some time with. Mm-hmm. Yonex helped out with that, donated some shirts and hats. So Robert Yonex mm-hmm. um, was really, really good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was an unbelievable experience. And she's doing some unbelievable things. Mm-hmm. Um, and she deserves to get the recognition because mm-hmm. it's amazing what they're doing. To see the refugees who've been locked up, some of them, for eight years. Wow. Come out, hit balls, happy, appreciative, like you wouldn't have even known. Wow. Uh, and I just sat back and was just watching them. It was actually a humbling experience for me. So I just wanted to thank her for letting me be involved, but also mm-hmm. give her a shout-out. So if you're all out there, go and have a look at her mm-hmm. um, Instagram, Rally yep. Forever, it's called. Yep. Um She's doing some really good things. Is that the one uh, where John Millman was there too? Yeah, John Millman and, mm. and Matt Reed came down yes. and spent some time down there. Yeah, it was, it was really, really good. Okay, wow, rally forever. And wow, okay. Okay, Louise, if, you, if you're listening, I'd love to have a convo with you and more about this, this mental fitness and rally forever. I, I'm actually following it, but I just don't know the whole details and story behind it. And now you said it, I was like, wow, okay. Love it, love it. Now, um... I'm going to, if I may, I'm going to have a little plug here. So for those who who, who are starting to see that um, Tennis of Melbourne, my team and myself, we, we're starting to roll out some uh, some UTI events, you know, um, because we have we now have a partnership, you know. Um, so some we're just doing a, a, like small tournaments, uh, small events uh, a, a, around Melbourne. Now, so Michael, as, as a coach, um, uh, as a coach, what are some of the things that you really want from a tournament, whether it's one day or two days or even three days? As a coach, in my opinion, I don't like players waiting around. I want a good schedule, you know, um, in in terms of like management wise. But as a coach, what are some things that you you want from a, a tournament? Um, from a tournament, it's well organized. Yep. Um, it's a safe environment for the mm-hmm. kids. Yep. Obviously. Yep. Um, but I think it's important they're just playing a lot of matches. I think the UTRs are great because. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think it's more reflective of where the kids are at rather than tournaments where kids can point chase and mm-hmm. straight rankings. Now, my gut feel, and I'm not 100% sure on this, is that mm-hmm. the UTRs will eventually be the points. Mm-hmm. So whatever your UTR is, that's what your ranking will be based on your birth year. Yep. It's transitioning to there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's it's great because it gives players... It also allows players to not do things such as tank and stuff because everything mm-hmm. counts. Yeah. Um, so and it's easier to run. So the more um, they're out there playing matches and learning how to play, the more I'm for it. Um, mm-hmm. Whether that's in practice, whether that's in in tournament play, and they can all be UTR sanctioned. So yeah, um, I'd encourage players to, to to play as many as possible when they can. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, hopefully hopefully one day um, more tennis UTR will be run at. Um, I think you you from you from Parkdale, right? Parkdale, yeah, yeah, Parkdale. All right. Well, yeah. One day, hopefully, we'll, we'll I'll run. We'll, we'll, we'll run a lot of tournaments around and make sure players, as you said, you know, get a lot of tennis. So that's why it's called More Tennis UTR Melbourne. So, um, yeah. yes. All right, Michael. Thank you so much. And um, let's see. We uh, okay. I know this sounds really, really sleazy, but uh, who's going to take out to finish it off? Last for for, for, for last question. Who's going to take out AL twenty twenty one? Well, I was going to say Djokovic, but after last night, I'm not sure. I don't know how. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it will be. I, I, I'm going to put my money on Medvedev for the men, mm-hmm. and for the women, I'm going to 
back. I think Ash will win. Okay. All right. Um, I'm, I'm going to Ash. Okay. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Team to take it out. Okay. And Iga. Yeah. Not bad. Yep. Not bad. All right. We'll we'll see how it goes. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Um, no more last questions, um, Michael. It's always good to have a chat with you, and hopefully next time doesn't have to be you know during some tough times. You know, we'll just talk whenever, and even if I get to see you in person more and sitting down, we can do it over a cup of coffee and things like that. And um, yeah, it's so good to have you on the the combo. So for those listening, make sure to follow Rally Rally Forever, Michael Lagazzo Tennis. And everything tennis or tennis of Melbourne, more UTR tennis. All right. Um, you want to say goodbye to our 50 million friends, Michael? <laughs> no, yes. Uh, bye, everyone. I hope you enjoyed um, our chat. Yep. And I'm sure there'll be many more chats, hopefully not again through lockdown. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, just stay safe and hopefully we're back out there in five days. All right. Thanks, Michael. You have been amazing. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Anytime. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs>